Hello and welcome back to Tales from Mysteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be doing Season 7, Episode 16, Searching. Yes. So I will be doing the overview um, of the episode and B will be giving us his trivia and his two cents. So what have you got to start us off? So this episode was written by Jeff Greenstein and Jason Ganzel, and it was directed by Larry Shaw, and it first aired on the 6th of March 2011. So on this week, from Monday the 28th of February to the 6th of March 2011, the number one song in the US was Born This Way by Lady Gaga, and the number one song in the UK was Someone Like You by Adele. Ah, okay, still, powerful duo of music right there. Indeed. On the 1st of March 2011, the tomb of a 700-year-old female mummy was discovered by road workers in Taizhou, China. Okay. On the 4th of March 2011, the 42nd NAACP Image Awards took place, which I looked more into, and it's an annual award ceremony presented by the US-based National Association of Coloured People to honour outstanding performances in film, television, theatre, music, and literature. Brilliant. With Four Coloured Girls winning Outstanding Motion Picture. Mm. On the 7th of March 2011, Charlie Sheen was fired from the CBS sitcom Two and a Half Men. Okay, yeah, well. Mm. And, um... He would eventually be taken over by Ashton Kutcher. Yes. Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. It wasn't really a good show anyway, in I my opinion. I was never a fan of I... that show, but I really like the intro, the theme song. The theme song's really catchy. Yeah, That's it's... A, it's so annoying. <laughs> it's like jazzy and it makes you feel like you're in a jazz club. Yeah. This is the 150th episode of Desperate Housewives. Oh my god, wow. So you are listening to the 150th episode of this podcast, yeah. if you can't, don't count A Kiss Before Christmas or Christmas special. Which, they, yeah, why would you? The title of this episode comes from a song of the same name featured in the Stephen Sondheim musical Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Nice. This is the first episode in the season after appearing in 15 episodes back-to-back that Keith doesn't appear in. Yeah. The final sequence of the episode is a homage to the first episode of the series in which Mary Alice killed herself. The final moments of the sequence are shot to match the original visuals that surround Mary Alice's death sequence. So considering the character who died also happens to be Paul's wife, it's all the more interesting. Yeah. Apparently they did that as a sort of commemoration of the fact that this is episode 150, kind of like a landmark throwback to episode one kind of thing. And the last piece of trivia that I have for the intro is that Lynette refers to Penny as a nine-year-old, but apparently she should actually be 12. Yes. I love that fans actually do the maths and, like, the timeline stuff. Yeah. There is another semi-continuity goof thing that I picked up that wasn't in the trivia, Mm. but we'll talk about it in episode just to see if I miss saw. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So previously on Desperate Housewives, Susan collapsed at a fancy restaurant in front of tons of people she tried to cue jump on. Bree and Keith broke up and he moved to California, I think. After taking Zach to rehab, Paul told Beth he knows everything and threw her out with wet hair, I would like to add. And Gabby and Carlos visit Gabby's hometown in an attempt to get her some closure. Yeah, which was the standout of the last episode, in my opinion. Oh yeah, absolutely. So we'll start with Lynette. Lynette is packing up Porter and Preston's room with help, with air quotes, from Renee, who's complaining about teenage boy smell. But Lynette kind of loves the smell in a mother's way, and reminds Renee that she is childless, and therefore her life has no meaning. I'm glad that you said that, because that's what I noted as well. She does say, you don't have children, so you don't get it. And I was like, that almost feels like a careless comment. It was a very careless thing to say, I think. Like, also, there's like no, just because you don't have children anyway, for whatever reason, whether you can't, whether you choose not to have children, doesn't mean your life is not meaningful. I agree, F5. Mm. So, 
Renee then comes into Lynette's house telling her that she wants a baby and so she's going to adopt. Bravo to the adopt, like the adoptionness of it all. And also bravo for just marching into a scene and just going, I want a baby. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, Renee has a habit of doing that. Lynette tries to help Renee see if she is sure that this is something she definitely wants to do as a baby would kind of uproot her whole life. But Renee believes that Lynette kind of makes it harder than it has to be. In theory, this probably should have been a clip because it was a hilarious scene. Damn. Well, just picture the scene. <laughs> but picture the scene, guys, because you don't have it as a clip. But Renee believes that Lynette kind of makes it harder than it has to be. And she intends to work her baby into her life and not her life around her baby. Yeah, so now we're swapping what I thought earlier with Lynette and Renee. And now I'm on Lynette's side. I'm like, you don't even freaking have kids. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? And I want to point out, I'm very aware that coming from someone that has a best parent, worst parent pod, um, section without any kids, it might sound <laughs> hypocritical. True. But... I'm doing it for a laugh. That's very I think true. Renee is actually quite serious here. Yeah. But at the same time, I do kind of agree with Renee. There are situations <laughs> where it does make... I mean, obviously, it's a sitcom, so it's played up for laughs. But there are certain situations where I do kind of feel like Lynette makes it harder than it has to be. Yeah. But I think all of us who don't have kids, or even those that do have kids, are sometimes judgy of parents when we think they're not doing something right. But you can't be on 100% of the time. No, you can't. You can't be. Lynette decides to take this moment to get a date night with Tom by asking Renee to take her baby for a test drive and babysit Paige. Renee agrees, believing that she's going to be a natural. Yeah, Lynette is literally willing to endanger everyone if it means making a point. Yeah, absolutely. Poor Paige has got no idea that right now she's been part of an experiment. (laughs) (laughs) Which one's Paige again? (laughs) So Tom and Lynette are at a fancy restaurant for their date really appreciating the lack of children when suddenly they hear a baby crying. So they take this moment to kind of be the judgy people in a restaurant this time. And they get to now be the ones that kind of look over at the parent and roll their eyes and be like, ugh. And then it's that they're like, who brings a baby to a restaurant? Like, ugh. So they look over to go give the mother a judgy look. And that's when they see it's Renee on a date, but they've, she's taken Paige with her. And so Tom doesn't really seem to care too much. He's more interested in trying the food, but Lynette is horrified. And so Tom suggests they go over there and just grab Paige. But Lynette has a better idea and she kind of wants to watch and torture instead. And this is yet again another scene where Renee is being tortured in a restaurant. <laughs> it's also another scene where Lynette is torturing someone to prove a point. She's yeah, really good at that this she, season. She's very good at that. We then see Renee handing Paige to a waitress, uh, stopping Tom from then thinking that Renee might still be able to save this. There is a brief moment where Tom's like, oh, it's fine. Like, Renee, you know, it's okay. She could still save it. And then she hands Paige to a waitress. <laughs> yeah. Lynette runs up to the waitress to find out what Renee said to her. And apparently Renee offered the waitress £100 to take the baby and calm her down. And so Lynette then offers her another 100 This waitress is having a good night. Yeah. She just gets to see some drama play out. Best night ever. Mm-hmm. So the waitress then comes back to Renee to take her order, this time without Paige. And apparently she had orders backing up, so she gave it to a busboy, but she doesn't really remember which one. (laughs) So Renee then, in typical Renee fashion in a restaurant, starts to freak out, demanding that she finds the baby, otherwise she would take the one that the waitress is currently carrying, because she's pregnant. (laughs) The waitress runs off, and Renee starts stopping any busboy she can find to see if they're the one with the baby, which Lynette and Tom watch from afar. And eventually they then make themselves known and Renee explains that it was Brian's one night in town, but Lynette schools Renee on what being a mother is really about, which is sacrifice. And then she storms off with Tom. Yeah, like suddenly your babysitter can't do can't babysit. You have to cancel. Yeah. Or if you can't find another way. Yeah. Also, what is a busboy? 
It's like a person that cleans the tables. Why are they called a busboy? I don't know. Because you're like, you're bussing tables. I don't really know where the American term comes from, but that's the terminology that Americans use. Renee comes bearing an inappropriate gift for the baby and an apology after the restaurant fiasco. And Lynette then tells Renee that being a mother isn't for everyone and there is nothing wrong with that. But Renee is confused as to what she can do to fill the lonely hole she has in her life. Renee? Renee? Lynette really isn't too much help and just kind of tells her, you'll find something. Yeah, I think she's also missing the point that although being a mum really isn't for everyone, there's loads of people that don't want to be a mum. If someone does want to be a mum, they can change their ways and learn how to work their life around a child. Yeah, look at Gabby. And that shouldn't have to mean that Renee can't be a parent just because she doesn't quite know what she's doing yet. Yeah. But anyway, that is Lynette and Renee's storyline. Yes. Okay, so we do technically start the episode with Gabby's storyline and Mary Alice discussing the different types of parenting there are as Gabby walks past them all and kind of judges them. (laughs) And there is the, which is a common theme for this episode, apparently, is judgy parents. I think it's a common theme for Gabby as well. I'm I'm pretty sure she does this a lot. Which is weird considering how, how like uppity she gets about parents judging her. Yeah, but she's so, she's so above it. Yeah. But anyway, so we see the disciplinarian, the smotherer, the negotiator, and then it kind of ends on Gabby being like the judgy bitch of yeah. the parents. And we see Gabby judging Lee's parenting with their new daughter, Janae, and she goes to give him some parenting tips about how you shouldn't push your child to continue with their interests. <laughs> but Lee yeah. believes that because Jenny said she wanted to learn the violin, it's now his responsibility as her parent to ensure that she sticks with it. Where do you stand on the whole kids practicing instruments in the neighborhood conversation? Because there are so many people that get so annoyed by it and they're like, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. They're being so disruptive. But personally, I kind of think headphones exist. Let them practice. No, I completely agree. Like, I'm I'm fine with kids practicing. Yeah, I think it can be annoying when there's constant disruptions in your life. God, do we know living in this block of flats. But honestly, let kids practice their instruments. If it's bothering you that much, just put on some headphones or go somewhere. Yeah, take a walk or something. I mean, I think there are certain instruments that I think are, I guess for lack of a better term, on a different playing field in this regard. Well, like drums um, and piano. Like drums. I don't mind piano. Piano's delicate. Drums are very not delicate. I think that maybe there should just be designated time slots in the day. But then again, that's just being a good neighbour. Yeah, that is just being a good neighbour. Gabby goes to leave, and then Lee asks Gabby what Juanita is doing on her own, considering that there's a school talent show coming up, so surely she must be doing something. And this then turns into a competition between the two parents on whose parenting technique is better than the others. Back inside her house, Gabby asks Juanita what she's planning on doing, and Juanita has already thought about it, which is, I don't really know what these are called, armpit farts? Yeah, it's like the squelchy armpit sound that that makes a fart noise, and she's so confident in her abilities. Yeah, she's like, oh, it's going to be great, look. And then she, and then the, she does the that. Horror, <laughs> the horror on Gabby's face. I was disappointed, but not surprised. No, not <laughs> surprised. Know? But yeah, no, that my child, I'm sorry. Call me judgmental, call me whatever, but I would not allow my child to do armpit farts at the, like, the school talent show. If it was part of a comedy routine, I wouldn't mind. No. There is no way in hell my child will be debasing themselves in a comedy routine to armpit farter. Like, that my child is a star and they will do better than armpit farter. <laughs> So you're going to be the Gabby in that weird flash forward where she gets the grey hair. Yeah. With Celia. Yeah. Right. I'll be the Lee in this episode. But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Also, Gabby is doing a competition with her children against other children again. Yeah, this happens a lot. She did it with Susan, with MJ. Yeah, she did. Gabby, stop. 
You never learn your lessons. So Gabby drags Juanita to the closet of forgotten dreams, which is filled with crap that Juanita made her parents buy her just for her to give up and get bored. And so Gabby tells her that she will be doing one of these things in the talent show. And we have a clip. Fine. If you won't pick something, I will. Tap. No. Yes. You enjoyed it. You actually set your personal record for sticking with something. Two months. But it's hard. Let me tell you something about life. Anything that's worth doing is hard. That's what life is? You're going back to that tap class, and you're going to practice two hours a day, seven days a week, until you nail it. No, I'll do something else at the show. Like what? I'll tell jokes. A Jewish guy and a Mexican walk into a bar. No. I want to hear the rest of that joke. Juanito is very good at self-sabotage. Yeah. <laughs> this is such a relatable scene. There were so many things that I wanted to do when I was younger that I really didn't follow through with. But in my defence, it was because we couldn't afford lessons. And teaching yourself complicated things is very hard. Especially as a child. Like, I really wish. My mum got me a recorder when I was a kid. Like, a recorder. And that was so dull. And I barely learned any of that. And then I went and wanted to learn guitar. We couldn't afford lessons, so I didn't get them. Yeah, same with me with piano. My mum bought me a keyboard, and I did my best, but I got to a certain point where I was like, I'm flabbergasted. I cannot yeah. understand what I'm reading right now. Why Gabby looks at this closet full of hopes and dreams and decides that Juanita should do tap is just bizarre to me. Yeah, I know. Tap, of all things, I hate tap. I like tap dancing. I don't want to hear the clip-clop of your shoes. Why? It's just annoying. No. And whenever like people do tap routines... No. I watch tap routines, and I'm like... I don't get it. They're just tapping. Yeah. <laughs> What's the... F it <laughs> takes an enormous amount of skill to be a tap dancer. Like, an enormous amount of skill. Oh, trust me. This episode taught me that. No offence, Juanita. Yeah. Juanita comes home after tap class complaining that she doesn't want to do it anymore, but Gabby tells her that she ain't quitting because this isn't her family. It quitters. Also, she's in competition. But yeah. she's not going to say that. But poor Juanita. She's being worked at the bone. Juanita calls out gabby for her hypocrisy saying that gabby quits all the time and gabby reminds her that tomorrow's lesson is two hours and she runs upstairs saying that she can't wait for this to be over that'd be quite difficult as a parent because i'd be like yeah but this isn't about me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is true carlos believes that gabby is being too hard on Juanita just to get at bob and lee but gabby says that this is for Juanita, and essentially the bob and lee stuff is just a bonus oh i don't know about that yeah mm. It's the talent show. So Gabby and Juanita rock up to the talent show and see Lee and Jenny practicing. And it's sad because Jenny is wearing shoes like that and Gabby looks stunning in a polka dot red dress. Gabby looks so good. The wavy hair, yeah, the dress. The, she oh. looked so good. And then you just look and see Jenny in those sort of like iridescent glittery flats. I didn't even notice her. It's really sad. I mean, I know she's a child, so let's face it, but it's sad. I didn't see her. Like Gabby just stole the show. She looked like she stepped out of a 50s catalogue. So Gabby and Lee have some jealous parent banter and Gabby tells Lee that he better be ready with those sunnies and don't look directly at Juanita because she's going to shine, bitch. Yeah, which is also why she's dressed like this. She wants to look good for her victory. Oh, yeah. That's the supermodel that Gabby is. <laughs> Gabby then starts to panic when she sees Juanita tap dancing. And according to Juanita, that's the first time she's nailed it. Um, and Gabby runs over to her and she's like, are you okay? Were you being chased by a bee? Yeah, that was mean. That was really sassy. <laughs> That was a bit much. It's about time when he got some of the sass back that she throws. She, <laughs> She's the one returning it from Gabby. Are you kidding? So, panicking that she's about to be humiliated, Gabby hides Juanita's tap shoes. Not very hard, but they're hidden nonetheless, which means Juanita cannot perform anymore, which is a sad face. Oh, Gabby. But she doesn't have to hide them more, though, because she stands in front of them and then she just keeps walking around them. She keeps, them. like, shuffling so that Juanita can't see them, yeah. Yeah. 
Juanita is legitimately deboed because she worked so hard and she was so excited, but they still decide to stay and watch her friends. Yeah, I do feel really bad for Juanita. She, oh, she's so cute yeah, in this episode. It's so sad, yeah. But I don't feel bad for the audience because Tap is horrible. Maybe stop slagging <laughs> off Tap. You just don't, you don't understand it. You just don't understand it. Don't, don't talk about things you don't understand. Okay, okay, okay. calm down. <laughs> so it's now the RuPaul's Drag Race talent show extravaganza and we see the talent show pretty much at the end we skip all of the other performances we and do and everyone's not just doing lip syncs yeah i know like it's a cute kid playing like the wine glasses or whatever that instrument is called the glass i don't know but so closing the show is jenny from the block and she fucks it up a little bit and gabby finds this brilliant until bob shows her and by her i mean gabby <laughs> that even though she's made some mistakes they're still so proud of her yeah gabby rain it in a bit yeah i know gabby's like sitting there and she just turns to the woman next to her and she's like we're getting those double pane windows <laughs> yeah she's being really horrible <laughs> she really is the woman next to her isn't joining in lee then runs up to the stage to give jenny flowers and then bows with her which is sweet but ultimately obnoxious in my opinion oh my god i just wrote i'm a, i'm a bit embarrassed right now like, like he just ran up on the stage and bowed with her yeah like, i'm like it, it gives dance moms energy i'm like bitch why are you bowing yeah anyway gabby then realizes that she should be proud of Juanita no matter what and before the show closes she finds Juanita's shoes and she gets to go up there and perform Oh, I'd be so annoyed if I were these parents. Like, I could have gone home and I have to stay here and watch a tap performance. Yeah, I know. Like, everyone's getting up and getting ready to go. And then Gabby's like, no way, everyone stop. There's still one more person to perform. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Juanita looked happy and it was very cute. But everyone in this audience is looking at her like, oh. And I'd be like, oh. No, you wouldn't. You would say, oh, too. The only reason you're sighing is because it's tap. Yeah. And I'm really sorry to the, any audience listeners that enjoy tap, but it's just not for me. No. So that is Gabby's storyline. Yeah, and we don't find out who won the competition because it wasn't the point. Yes, that is true. We don't find out who won the competition. The point is not the competition. The point is to appreciate everyone's talents. So anyway, moving on to Susan. Susan and Mike are at the doctors after her fainting spell. But according to the test they have done, things aren't good. But they don't really know why things aren't good. The doctor tells Susan that they will do everything they can, but if there are things that she wants to do, maybe get started on those, which is their polite way of saying, you're going to die. I'll be honest, I didn't realise her condition was that serious. I assumed that as long as she kept having her dialysis, she'd be fine. fine. Yeah. Like, it cleans out your blood because the kidney's not doing it for you. You come back and you have it done again, and then you go about your life when you can. I didn't realise it was this serious. Well, it seems to be getting worse. Yeah, Um, I think I was horrendously uneducated on dialysis. Mm-hmm. So on the way home, Susan wants a picnic for their anniversary at the spot where they got married, but she wants to do it now, just in case. <laughs> yeah, he's like, but our, pi- our anniversary's like next month, like yeah, two he's months like, away. Not until July. I mean, we don't really know what month it is, but he says our anniversary's not until July. Yeah, and if w- they're going for a picnic, we can probably assume it's quite nice weather. When Mike said, but it's not our anniversary, I was a bit like, oh, you're a bit of a himbo, aren't you? you aren't, yeah. You're not getting it. So Susan and Mike are heading out for their anniversary, early anniversary, and Susan thanks him for agreeing to move it forward, but Mike tells her to thank him in July when they celebrate their real one. He puts the blankets in the car and they head off, leaving the food on top, and it all sort of collapses to the floor. And I'm sorry, but in this scene, Susan tells Mike that she's got everything pretentious that they can possibly have, like smoked salmon and caviar, bitch. Any living kind in... of overpriced fish, apparently. Yeah, bitch, you're living in a flat, okay? Like, you've had to move out of your house, you're in debt. You're buying caviar? Yeah, she's like, I'm going to die anyway. I'm just going to spend all our money. What about when Mike's just left over with MJ? Exactly. And all of their money was spent on fish. On top of that, 
The basket then collapses to the floor on top of the car, and all that's inside it, bitch, is fruit. Yeah, where's the fish? Where's the caviar? And if there was fish, were you mixing it with the fruit? Yeah, like, why are you lying? We know you're poor, you don't need to lie, why are you lying? This was also the continuity slash goof kind of thing, possibly, that I noticed that isn't in the trivia, but Mike is walking to the boot of the car, holding these blankets in one hand, and opening the door with another. Yeah. We then cut to Susan's POV of Mike, and both his hands are completely free, and I was like, but he didn't put the blankets down. What happened to the blankets? But he did, he put them in the back of the car. No, you just see him open the door, and then it instantly cuts to another shot of him, and there are no blankets, and he's not holding them, and his arms are in a different position. Oh, we can safely assume that he's probably just put them in the back of the car, can't we? We can assume it, but we didn't see it. So, in my mind, those blankets vanished. Oh, good God. They're gone. And it's a very slight continuity error. Uh, yeah, very slight continuity error. Keywords being very slight. Yeah, but it, it was noticeable. <laughs> I noticed it. Oh, God. So, Mike and Susan get to their picnic spot, and he's still upset about the basket of fruit. And Susan asks him to drop it so they can just enjoy themselves. Well, but... they already dropped it. That's the problem. <laughs> Technically, they didn't drop it. They did place it nicely on the car. The car yeah. dropped it. Well, she says to forget about it, but it's kind of hard to forget about the picnic at a picnic. Yeah. Like, that was the whole point, Susan. It's kind of hard to. But Mike then ends up having another fit because the unbranded fast food place that they have then gone to to get their food has forgotten the fries. I hate when that happens. Yeah, I know. It's really fucking annoying. So Susan laughs off the missing fries and tries to take Mike's mind off of it by renewing their vows. And he begins, but keeps getting interrupted by a petty bird. I know how <laughs> so- he feels. <laughs> so then he gets annoyed and he ends up killing an innocent bird in an attempt to get the guilty one. Yeah, he kills a bird. This is unforgivable. Yeah, it's not nice, Mike. This isn't a good look. It's so petulant. Like, it's just a bird, dude. Foul play, I think, is here. Mm. Terrible joke. That was a terrible joke. That's, <laughs> that's unforgivable. I'm sorry. What kind of game is this? <laughs> <laughs> Susan and Mike are naked and falling around in a park in the middle of the day. Like, right out and in the open as well. Like, they're not even hiding behind a bush. And it's, like, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? I'm all for people doing what they want. And if being outside is your thing, that's fine. But at least try and be sneaky about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're under a blanket. That's oh, kind, that's wow. kind of sneaky. <laughs> and later on, Mike does stand up and he is wearing jeans. But Yeah, that was a very disappointing moment. Yeah, it's a very disappointing moment. But Susan does take off her bra. So Susan starts to hear something, which Mike th- thinks is just nature. <laughs> a peeping raccoon is what he calls it. But Susan hears some more, and along come a Civil War reenactment group. Like, not even shocked that there are two naked people about to bang right there. They're more just offended that Susan asked them if they were playing. Yeah. <laughs> but this guy that Mike is yelling at, he is not breaking character. No, he's really not breaking character. Like, the main guy here is, like, really into it. He's and fully Mike committed. is so over his serious acting. Like, Mike's not, not having it at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. It's a bit annoying. One of the other guys steps in and explains the situation, but Mike asks if they could have their pretend war over, like, somewhere else instead. Pretend war? As this is something that's very important for Susan, but Kevin, who's the serious actor, hmm. refuses to budge, as according to him, this is serious stuff. Right, that's general to you. Yeah, and they're interrupting a battle. Mike then calls him a douche, which is brilliant. <laughs> it, like I, I absolutely cracked up when Mike just turns around and he's like what a douche I'm like oh my god you don't hear that word a lot these days <laughs> you don't hear that word a lot no. they get up in each other's face and Susan manages to calm Mike down at the same time Mike is also trying to tell off one of the actors that is dead because he's trying to check out Susan I'd have my eyes open 
It happens. <laughs> Close him, Kyle. And so back at the car, Susan and Mike get in, but he's too butthurt over everything that's happened. And poor old Susan is trying to help him see the fun in it all, but this isn't working, and then neither is the car. Well, apparently that always happens at the worst times. It does, yeah. And so seeing as the car won't start, they then begin to hike somewhere, and then Mike injures himself. And then he snaps at Susan, claiming that they should have waited for their real anniversary, and it feels like Susan's just given up on fighting, and he's angry that there's nothing he can do to stop Susan from dying. So she tells Mike that she is fighting, and she wants to grow old with him, but as that isn't guaranteed, she wants to appreciate every moment of every day. Yeah. And for future reference, I find this scene very sad. I do find this scene very sad as well. But, um, yeah, really well acted. Very complicated emotions. He's clearly a little resentful with Susan because she might die. Yeah. And it's one of those feelings where it's like, I shouldn't feel that. But sometimes you just can't help how you feel. You can't. No, you can't help how you feel. And he's probably is incredibly conflicted about the fact that he feels the level of resentment for Susan for something that is completely out of her control. And it's completely not something Susan wants either. But at the same time, there's no one else for him to blame. Yes. And I got all of that from James. Yeah. So good job. Yeah. Well done. And so that is Susan and Mike scene. Yeah. Or story even, not scene. Very good. Very good. Very nice. So we move on to Bree. So Bree has Reverend Sykes over for tea, but he has been Bree's reverend for a long old time and he knows her very well. So he knows that there is a reason for having him over and based on how good the food that she has made is, he thinks she's definitely done something bad, like murder. I love that idea. Like, depending on the baked goods, depends on how guilty she feels. That's hilarious. I think it's very well thought out for Brie's character. I do think that that is something that Brie would do, depending on her level of guilt, will depend on the type of baked good good that she does. I think the more complicated the baked good, the guiltier she feels. That could be one of those really crappy, cosy books, like A Pinch of Guilt. It's about cozy, a baker that... Cozy books. Yeah, like those cozy books you read where it's not a serious book. It's just something you read when it's quiet or it's raining and, and you're in your downtime. Yeah. It's, it's normally a murder mystery or something, like a cozy murder mystery. That's true. Yeah, like you're you know, laying down on a sun lounger in a hotel somewhere or something. Yeah, a pinch of guilt and it's like a murder mystery about a baker. I bet there is already a book that's called that. <laughs> yeah, I probably. guarantee you there is already a book that's called that. So she tells him that she feels like job right now because god has taken everything away from her i guess she tells the reverend that she feels like job because she's lost her husband her business her boyfriend and so he uses an analogy from his own life to help her back on her path something about how he didn't get into yale divinity school if that's really a thing (laughs) that's hilarious i hope that's real (laughs) so his dad sent him to the bronx to help the homeless to remind him that there is always someone who has it worse unless you're that unlucky person who has it the worst and then there kind of really isn't anybody she also complains that the children never call her, but Andrew only lives across the road, Brie. You could just go see him. Yeah, for someone that only really lives like down the street, he's really not utilised enough. Yeah, and also, just enjoy the lack of Danielle. <laughs> so, later on at Drinks with the Girls, Susan's telling all of them, except for Renee, who never seems to be there with the rest of the girls. And so she gives them an update and tells them the dialysis isn't working anymore. And so the ladies think Susan needs to get more aggressive and widen her search circle as she's only really asked family for a kidney at this point. Susan doesn't really see the point as finding a match is about one in a thousand, but the ladies agree to help her anywhere they can. Susan t- then says that she can't really bring herself to ask people to make a sacrifice that big. So Brie goes about it behind Susan's back. And then we see Brie kind of going around the neighborhood in a bit of a montage asking people for a kidney. Karen believes she's too old. Lee doesn't want any scarring on his body, and Mrs. Kinsky's just a bit of a bitch. 
Yeah, there is some serious selfishness in this scene. I was shooketh. Yeah, I mean, I get Karen's to a certain extent. Yeah, because I get, I'm like, yeah, she's, an, she's an older lady, and so naturally, for an older person, surgery is a bigger ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but the others, not so much. Right? Oh, it's good for scoring. Bree then decides that she should have the whole neighbourhood over for brunch. And so Karen believes that there's something weird going on. And Carlos then thinks that Karen is overthinking it. Well, Brie is giving out smoked salmon tartar cornucopias. Whatever the hell they are. And I swear, every time she has people over, the writers give her another hilariously random combination of foods. I reckon they have, like, a board or, like, some post-it notes of just random food combinations they can do for next time Brie has yeah. people over. And it just keeps getting longer and longer and longer as well. So yeah. <laughs> when Brie introduced the smoked salmon tartar cornucopia, I was like, oh my god, what is she saying? What the- <laughs> when does this end? Karen's there like, oh, what's the point of the brunch? Brie was like, I just thought it'd be nice to have friends over. Smoked salmon tartar cornucopia? Like, what I the hell? <laughs> they just enjoy Marsha Cross saying these funny things. Yeah. Because she does it so well. And she does it with so such humility. Like, here you go, I just made this. Like, so casual. Yeah. So, at this moment, Bree brings out someone for a presentation, to which Carlos then tries to run, because he knows that Mrs. McCluskey had a very valid point, and this is a setup. but Gabby stops him. It turns out that Bree's guest of honour is a doctor at Fairview Memorial Hospital, who's here to do some mifty bunking of transplants, so that the neighbourhood can get an idea of what to expect, and why their reasons before were bull, basically. And you know what? This is hilarious. They get ambushed with a doctor. Yeah. I can't even make a GP appointment. <laughs> That is true. Here in the UK, it's impossible to get a hold of your GP on the phone, let alone get them over to your house for a presentation. And an ambush. Like, what the hell? (laughs) So, Brie now believes that this is enough information for everyone to agree to get tested, which they can do right here, right now. And then it helps everyone form a line, and (laughs) Gabby locks everyone in, forcing them all to go ahead with it. Yeah, this is questionable legally, but it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> Roy also says right at the end that he thinks he can take Gabby when he's rolling up his sleeves. Lies. I don't think you could. I've seen her resist arrest from two police officers and pushing herself off of their police car with her feet. We've also seen her assault a nun yeah, he, in a church. He can't take her. Yeah. So anyway, Bree then gets a call from Fairview Hospital to tell her that her hard work has paid off and they have found not one, but two matches for Susan. One of them being Bree and the other being Beth. Oh, now this is interesting because Brie, as we know, struggles to walk the walk. She's very good at talking the talk, but she's very bad at walking the walk sometimes. What do you mean? She will go out of her way to spout about morality and stuff to people because of her religious values. And when it Mm. comes to her doing it, she's a bit questionable about it. So now that she's banged on about finding Susan a donor... She ha- maybe and she, she has to walk the walk yes. because you are a match. You are now the match. So I thought this was an, a very good opportunity for Brie as a character. Yeah, and, and to be fair, from the very beginning of Brie's story, she has spoken about how she feels like she's lacking in purpose right now. So it'll be interesting to see if this is what helps Brie turn herself around. Yes. So Brie is then confused as she doesn't re- she didn't really know that Beth got tested, but apparently Beth saw a flyer and went of her own accord. However, they're having trouble getting hold of her, so the doctor then asks if they need to continue looking for Beth or whether Brie will be the one to donate herself. Dot dot dot. Yeah. Final scene of Brie's storyline, Beth is sad and alone in her hotel room when Brie knocks on the door and Beth lets her in and explains that her and Paul aren't together anymore, but it is what it is. And you can clearly see that Beth isn't right in herself right now. Yeah, she's going through a really hard time. Yeah. 
So Brie tells her the good news, and Beth wants to know what she does now, but Brie stops her, telling her that she's also a match, and so she will be the one donating. But she thanks Beth for getting tested anyway, and then she apologises for judging Beth based on her husband when she first moved onto the lane, and for how long it's taken her to kind of realise. Yeah, it was a sad moment. It was very, it was quite interesting the way that she's like, you know, I've got to let you know that you're a match, but I'm asking you, let me do this. Mm. But as we'll see in Beth's story, they both have such meaning to do it for their own personal reasons yeah and it's sort of like a who wants it the most yeah which we see maybe we should stop apologizing to beth for misunderstanding her if you're just going to keep doing it exactly (laughs) like this is why this is why beth is absolutely one of my favorites because she's completely miss like misunderstood the entire time manipulated by everyone around her and then completely undervalued she's an utterly tragic figure yeah but we'll get to that we will get to that yeah so Beth asks if she can do it because it would mean so much to her. But Brie is honest with Beth about how lonely she's been and how she's been looking for purpose. And she believes that this is it. And this is why she needs to be the one to do it. Beth doesn't really say anything. And so Brie leaves. Okay, I've got a couple of things. But the first one is, Brie, do you not see how close-minded you're being by saying this? She's clearly going through a really hard time herself. And you're just standing there like, I'm going through such a hard time. <laughs> well, I think it's because for Brie, her and Beth are just kind of similar in that They've both lost their respective partners now. I know, but Brie just really seems in her own world. It's like she's she it's like she's not seeing what's happening with Beth, which is what happened with Mary Alice. Yeah. The other thing was I thought she was gonna ask Beth to maybe come and stay with her or something mm. as a way of redemption. That would have been good. But that didn't happen. And no, I felt a little happen. bit disappointed with Brie for that. Yeah, that would have been an interesting way to to continue with the story in a sort of a different way than the way that they've gone. But I just think obviously it was Mary Alice was best friends with the ladies so that's why it was all the more shocking that they didn't see anything with mary alice with beth they barely know the woman history is rhyming yeah a pretty good story for brie this episode it was yeah so finally the paul and the beth so paul is enjoying his time alone at home until beth walks in with shopping acting as if nothing happened the night before which is hilarious (laughs) and we're not really used to getting a scene with someone looking through a window indoors. Yeah, she just stares in through the outside window. Yeah, From she... the outside, it was so creepy. Yeah, it was really creepy. You can tell she's not really sure as to how this is going to go. She kind of walks in and she's like, hi, honey. Like, she's... You could tell she's a little bit uncomfortable with the walking in. I feel like she has a plan in her yeah. mind. She's like, this is how it's going to go. It's going to be fine. <laughs> so, confused as hell, Paul wonders what she's doing here, considering they ended. But Beth doesn't believe that. She just thinks that they had their first fight... And so he's still just a little bit upset. Paul starts to believe that this is another plan cooked up by Felicia. And so then this is when Beth starts to get honest with Paul, telling him that her mother manipulated her into thinking that he killed Martha. But she knows now that it was all just a lie and he could never kill someone. So since they're playing honest, Paul then decides to tell Beth the truth that her mother has actually been right all along and he did kill Martha. (laughs) Yeah, he's being spiteful. Yeah, he is. But this is a horrible turn of events for Beth because the truth is out and... I don't know how she. this doesn't break her brain right now. Well, yeah, Beth fell in love with the man because she was so adamant that actually he didn't because so far he'd said he hadn't. She's now realised that both people she trusted, there wasn't a good guy and a bad guy. They mm. both manipulated and lied to her. Yeah. Terrible. They're both bad people. In the next scene, Beth is visiting her mother in prison, telling her that he now knows everything and he's thrown her out. Felicia really doesn't give a shit, though, and we have a clip. What a sad story. If only someone had warned you what a bastard he is. I know. You were right all along. I should have listened to you. But I'm going to make it up to you. Oh, Beth. 
I can't allow you back in my life. You have failed me in every possible way. No, I didn't. Paul confessed. Really? Did you get it on tape? Did he write it on a napkin? Of course not. Because you have never done anything right in your life. The start of this clip gives me when a friend doesn't listen to you and you're like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. If only someone had told you what a bastard he was. Yeah, that. <laughs> so Beth begs for another chance, but Felicia doesn't care and refuses to give it, telling her daughter that she will now live the rest of her life sad and alone, thinking about how much of a disappointment she's been to everyone. And she then leaves, as in Felicia leaves, telling the prison guard to remove Beth off the visitors list. Oof. So Beth has now lost her husband and her mother. Yeah, but you could do so much better, Beth. You really, really it's could. It's just a shame that in the moment she can't see it. Yeah. So that is essentially the end of the episode and we move on to the ending where Mary Alice sort of reminds us of how brief life is and so we shall find meaning wherever we can and we see Gabby watching Juanita dancing, Renee hanging out with her friend Lynette and Brie reading a bible. We then see Beth walking to the hospital to talk to a very overworked nurse and this is now a very sad scene so it, it like gets me every time. Yeah this nurse is busy. Yeah she asks about the transplant and tries to give her the form, explaining how important it is that it gets to the right place. But the nurse tries several times to tell her that she needs a different floor, as this is emergency. Now, there is a very specific reason why Beth has deliberately gone to the emergency ward. Yeah. And not the transplant ward. So, Beth grabs the nurse's hand, um, hands her the form, and tells her that it has to be her that takes this form, as it's the most important thing that she's ever done, and she doesn't want to mess it up. And then Beth pulls out a gun and shoots herself in the head. Yeah, with some shots reminiscent of episode one. Yeah. And Beth has kind of been ignored and her feelings have been overlooked, which has pretty much led to something which was preventable. Same mm. as Mary Alice. So as a 150th episode way of paying homage to how the show started, which is what they wanted to do, it would appear that with the writing, they did that. But yeah, that is unfortunately the end of the episode. Yeah, and the end of Beth. The end of Beth. Which I suppose she sort of lives on through Susan through her kidney. I guess. If you want, but it was but incredibly it sad. breaks my heart. I thought that Beth was such a wonderful addition to the show. Every scene that she is in <laughs> is absolute gold. Yeah, she's really good. And it's just really sad to see someone so manipulated. I think she might be the most tragic character that we've had. Yeah, we will end this episode with a massive congratulations and thank you to Emily Burgle, who plays Beth, who brought just such a wonderful joy, I think, to the season. Yeah, and she's got this way of acting with her face, of just showing emotion, which is so compelling. It really was. You don't get that in a lot of people. Her, her charisma with Mark Moses, who plays Paul Young, like which I, I just think they worked so well together as a pair. I will really miss her presence on the show. So now that that's the episode over, let's move on to our next segment where Joel's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment of the episode. So what do you have for the gayest moment? So my award for gayest moment... It goes to Lee for the stage mum attitude. I honestly thought I wasn't sure if you'd give it to Lee or to Felicia for her also gay parenting. <laughs> yeah, I know, that is gay parenting from Felicia. Um, but no, it goes to him for his stage mom attitude because he basically did everything but get on stage and perform with Jenny. Yeah, he had a bit of a dance mum's kind of moment. He did. It was very um, Regina George's mum in Mean Girls. Yeah. He's it, up there with yeah. the camera and dancing. Yeah, I'm not like other dads, I'm a cool dad. <laughs> I'm a cool dad, yeah. 
And what do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. <laughs> Goes to Kyle for dying with his eyes open. People do that. People but do that. That's a thing. I don't have my eyes open. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah. If there's a if there's a topless woman, straight, you're, you're you're dying with your eyes open. <laughs> straight people, I swear you all die with your eyes open and it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. So those are my awards for gayest and straightest moment. And so now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parents. So who do you have for the best parent? My award for Best Parent of the Episode. I gave this to Lee. For helping his daughter pursue her ambitions and her dreams. Fair, I would say that is fair. Check out Lee and her multiple awards. He's like I, the Beyonce at the Grammys of this episode. I know, right? So, yeah, no, I would agree. I would say that is very fair. Lee did deserve the best parent, I think. Yes. So, who do you have for the worst parent? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. Now, this was tough, because as you know, when it comes to judging parenting in this show, I'm a judgy bitch. Mm. And I could have given it to Lynette for just thinking, yeah, I'll let her take care of my baby. I think it'll go horribly wrong, but I'll prove a point. But no, I actually gave it to Gabby for hiding Juanita's tap shoes when all she wanted to do was make Gabby proud of her routine. I know, all Juanita wanted to do was dance. You won't believe how tempted I was to give it to Lynette just because I don't like tap, and I thought yeah. I would have done the same thing, Gabby, just to avoid watching a tap performance. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it really did have to go to Gabby. I, I <laughs> Also, just using her child for her own little petty competition with Lee. I would agree. I would... Oh, God, here we are. Wow. Gabby gets worst parent, and he gets best. This I is, know. Have we switched into an alternate universe? Are we in a data world? What's happening? <laughs> so, yeah. Bravo, bravo. Fucking bravo yeah. to everyone and their awards. Yeah. That was the episode. That was season seven, episode 16, Searching. If anyone has any questions, queries, comments, and theories, where can they find us? Well, you can find us in several places. Now, you can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review. You can find us on TikTok, even though I haven't actually posted on there because I've got no idea how to use it yet, <laughs> on Boyfriends Review. But I'm watching and learning, and we will come out podcast supreme on TikTok. And you can see all of our unsolicited opinions on Reddit now under the handle of Boyfriends Review Pod. So, multiple places this time. Multiple places this time. We're no longer just Instagram. We have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And you can also find Louis, who does the artwork at Doc Red Monk Design on Instagram, where yeah. there is a link to his Etsy page. And he does commissions. Join us next time when we'll be back in your ear holes with Season 7, Episode 17. Everything's different. Nothing's changed. No, it hasn't. See you then, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.